Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting-edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, that's good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. Your host, James P. Friel. I am very, very excited that you guys are here with us today. Uh, we've got a really special show for you planned uh, with somebody who's made a big difference uh, in my thinking and my entrepreneurial career. And we're going to get to him in just a second. But before we do, as always, I'd like to introduce you guys to my one and only famous co host, the bearded wonder from the United Kingdom, Mr. Dean Holland. Hey. hey. How you doing, James? I'm excellent, Dean. How are you today, man? I am excited for this show. I'm pumped up for the guest we got today. I am too. I am too. I hope you've got your pencil sharpened and ready to take notes because I think uh, I think he's going to drop a lot of knowledge bombs on us. Definitely. I'm ready for this one. Without further ado, and to uh, release everyone from the suspense, um, <laughs> we're joined today by Perry Marshall, who um, who's a good friend, a mentor, and somebody who's made a tremendous difference in my thinking about how to market, and really just think about my business strategically. Um, Perry, welcome to the show, man. It's so great to have you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be in the conversation and and great to meet you too, Dean. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to shake your hand yet, but one of these days, I'm sure. So yeah, yeah, it'd be the, great. The adventure begins. Yeah, I'll make it worth the wait. It'll be a good solid handshake. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't count on it, Perry. Dean. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so Perry, I know like a lot of people, uh, you know, in the internet marketing world and everything, know you for you know your work in uh, you know you started out in Google AdWords and things like that. But more recently, you've I guess I shouldn't even say more recently, but one of the things that I feel like you've made a tremendous impact in the way that I think is. The use of the eighty twenty rule, yeah. um, and I'd love to I'd love to get into that a little bit. But before we do, can you just sort of give everyone a little bit of background? Like, how did you wind up as an entrepreneur? Because you weren't always an entrepreneur. You're a little bit of a recovering engineer, like I am. <laughs> well, you know the the engineering the the first business I ever had it was when I was in junior high and high school, and I was selling stereo equipment. I was building speakers. And uh, and selling them and uh, doing custom installations and stuff like that. And I, I was really into it, but I wasn't into it as an entrepreneur. I was into it as a technician. And the entrepreneur part was mostly a way for me to build something interesting and then be able to build something else. Be- but I had to ha- have the money from selling it, right? So right. as long as I you know, kept the dollars turning from one project to another to another, then I could always do my thing. And and when I was in high school, I, I did have a janitor job for about six months. But for the most part, I was able to earn my spending money with my little stereo equipment business. And, and that was great. But I really, really, really wanted to know how everything worked at a deep level, which is why I went into engineering. The, the reason that I really got into entrepreneurship, it came from getting recruited or sucked into, you might say, Amway, um, which, <laughs> which you know, you kind of chuckle. And there's like, there's a lot of tragedy to that story, honestly, but it is a rite of passage. That sort of thing is a rite of passage for, as far as I can tell, at least a third of all entrepreneurs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, you can't, you, you, you can't dismiss it you know, if, if only for that one reason. Right. And, and so, and what happened was, you know, my friend Bill was trying to recruit me and we went to this meeting and the guy is talking about making $2,000 a month, you know, like part-time. And I'm not, I'm not connecting to this at all. I mean, I thought it was an interesting concept, but like, why would I actually do something like this? And my wife says, look, Perry, if you graduated from school and you were making $2,000 a month on the side, which at the time was basically enough to live on, what would you do? And all of a sudden I realized, well, 
I wouldn't go get a job. I'd go start a speaker business or, you know, I would go do something like that. I would, I would start some kind of a technical business because then I could do what I wanted instead of punching a clock and just doing what somebody else wants me to do. And she's like, well, okay. So like, is this something you want to do? And I was like, oh, well, that would, that would actually be really great. If I, if I made a couple thousand dollars a month part-time, then I would have all these options in my life. And so I dived into that. Now I was terrified. I was absolutely scared to death. Um, and I had all kinds of hangups and nervousness and everything else. But how, I, how I old just were you at the, how old were you at the time? 21. Okay. Oh, nice. And so now I'm like picking up the phone and I'm driving to all these meetings and I'm getting indoctrinated. I'm drinking the Amway pink Kool-Aid. And, and after a while I got really fascinated with it. You know, it was like, wow, you know, this is, this is a pretty deep rabbit hole. And, and it was now I never was successful with that. Uh, mostly it was six years of, of banging my head against the wall and eventually figuring out that everything they told me was a half truth. Like, like just about everything. Okay. Um, (laughs) you know, like down to, you know, every single point that they were trying to make at one of their presentations, it was all like half true. And starting with, you're going to own a business. Well, you you didn't really own anything. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But, but (laughs) I got, I got a tremendous education from that. And, and, and in the middle of that, now I'm working as an engineer. I've moved to Chicago. I'm in the acoustics business and I get laid off from my job and I go into sales. And that's really where the, the learning curve starts in earnest. Cause you know, now I got to uh, earn a living doing this. And, and I had the sales skills that you would expect an Amway distributor to have, mm-hmm. which is shaking hands, putting on a suit, looking nice, being able to steer a conversation being able to answer objections and all that. I understood that, but I didn't understand anything about business to business sales or, you know, how purchasing departments work or, you know, uh, how, how you put deals together. I didn't know anything about that. Um, and so that was two more years of bologna sandwiches and ramen soup and failure and everything. I mean, man, my failure quotient was just, just choking. I mean, basically (laughs) almost my entire decade of my twenties was just one failure after another, after another. But, you know, I guess it it learned me pretty good. So let's, let's talk about, (laughs) let's talk about that for a second though. But you kept, you kept going. Like, uh, what do you think is the reason that you kept going and that, you know, some people who encounter these obstacles and challenges and everything just sort of quit like why do they throw well, in the towel and why didn't maybe, you maybe it's some amway pink kool-aid you know they they convinced me rightly so that if i lapsed into a mediocre career of punching the clock and working for the man i would never get out of it right hmm. and i was terrified of waking up one day being 43 years old and being stuck in some job I hated because I needed the health insurance or, Mm. you know, something like that. And so like in, in Amway, you got this, you know, the, the dramatic difference between, you know, the flaming shining entrepreneur and the punch, you know, Larry lunchbox uh, going to his job, J O B every day. Right. Well, that really got, etched into my brain and I would, you know, I was still in school and, and I, I started to see everything differently. I saw the jobs that my friends were getting, uh, when they got out of school, I saw those differently. I saw the professors punching their clock. I saw them differently. I saw everybody through an entrepreneur lens and I knew it's like, dude, you've got important things you want to do in this world and in your life. And you only get one. And if you have the opportunity to get yourself a measure of freedom and you don't seize the opportunity, then you have squandered, right? And it was, there was even a level of religious conviction. It was like the, the parable of the talents. It'd be like the guy that buried his talent in the ground and, 
you know, didn't earn any interest on it. And the guy like smacks him on the head and like, what's the matter with you? Like, didn't, didn't you know, <laughs> right. didn't you know I was demanding? And so I would listen to all that. And I was kind of scared. It was like clock is ticking. And, you know, and then eventually I've got, you know, we got a baby and then we got two kids and, you know, it's like, dude, like you better get this figured out because the worst thing that can happen to you is be stuck in a life that you hate. And you have plenty of friends that are stuck in a life that they hate. They're everywhere. Hmm. And, and, and all you got to do is ask enough questions and you'll like, most people don't really like most people, they won't go to your Christmas party and sit down with you and go, you know, I really hate my career, really hate my job, really hate my profession. They won't usually tell you that. Okay. They'll just, it'll kind of come out sideways or come out in little Mm -hmm. bits and pieces. But I had been conditioned to notice, Hey man, this is going on all around you. Do not let that happen to you. Right. So it was like, uh, just so there was like a warning almost that Mm -hmm. was just sort of like over your head the entire time. And that's why you didn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, I was just relentless and I mean, real relentless to the point of almost insanity. I mean, I pushed my marriage to the brink of divorce. Uh, uh, I mean, not, not like threatening divorce, more like just killing the relationship with workaholism and, you know, and, and busyness and, and, and like, you know, man, I was tremendously insecure. Uh, I didn't really know who I was. Uh, I was hoping nobody was going to find out who I wasn't, you know, Mm. (laughs) But, so you know, I, I think this is really common. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's yeah. anything unusual about this. No, I, I totally relate to the whole, uh, you know, I saw that there was a better path, but I had no idea how to get there. Kind of like what you're describing, but I believed it so strongly that I think that's what sort of kept me going as well. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so was t- in terms of, you know, was there, uh, was it a, a gradual progression to you figuring out how to, you know, kind of make it on your own? Or was there, you know, some sort of watershed moment where everything just sort of started clicking for you? Well, there were several watershed moments. One of the big ones was I wandered into a giant coliseum for one of these success seminars in Peoria, Illinois, because I was a, you know, like motivation, sales, attitude, personal development junkie by this point and Dan Kennedy was the last guy on stage and and he was selling his magnetic marketing system and he gave this um, exquisitely choreographed talk about cold calling and pounding pavement and beating on doors and talking to people that don't want to talk to you and being a pest and talked about direct response advertising and stuff and he levitated $278 out of my wallet, which was a minor <laughs> miracle considering how desperately broke I was and considering I was used to buying $6 cassette tapes for Amway, not $300, you know, uh, you know, $300 for like 10 tapes, right. you know, um, and, but but I was really impressed with his talk. Um, he even he even talked about Amway distributors using it to to make their business work. And so so I parted with the money and I brought this thing home and I started studying it. And it was like, wow, could I use this for my job? I hope, I, man, yeah, you know, I was making cold calls all the time. Like, you know, Monday morning was like, okay, hit the phones, man. And I told my boss about it and he just thought I had bought swampland in Florida. He right. like, <laughs> like, 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. You think, you think you're going to advertise and people are going to call you and then you don't have to do all that anymore. Yeah. You know, a lazy 27, eight, 28 year old salesman. That's what that is. Right. right? right. That, that, that's, uh, that's like all, that's all the credence he gave to it. And, and me at this time, like I can tell, like time is running out. My, my sales job is failing. Um, I, man, you better hustle. You better figure something out. You better find another job. And, and we're, we are drowning in debt. And I mean, the stress was just unbelievable. I, I was so stressed out. I got mono. Um, and, and like, and at night I would, I would wake up and the bed would be drenched 
with with sweat um like where you have to like climb out of bed and then lay on top of the covers because all the inside of the covers is is wet um and but but like i couldn't get sick because there wasn't any margin there i had all this stuff to do it was like my body knew he needs to be sick at night but he's got to be okay in the daytime <laughs> I, I kid you not and and so i was just man i was i was just uh, you know walking in this fog and and looking for something. Okay, so I, I buy I buy this thing, and I and I every night I'm going going home and I'm studying it, and I I'm you know reading these you know restaurant sales letters, and I'm listening to these tapes about copywriting and stuff, and I'm starting to get excited. And so, so what I did is like okay, so my, my boss isn't too enthusiastic about this, but I you know, I'm going to scrape some nickels together, and I'm going to mail out some letters, and I'm going to see if I can make this work. Uh, to make the Amway thing work. And the the long story short is that it did sort of work. And I sent in my sales letter to Dan Kennedy because I had a critique coupon. And I like I slaved over this thing. I made, wrote the best sales letter I knew how to write at the time. And I and I sent it out and and I got I got like a one percent response. And I, and, and Dan writes me back and he goes, well, you know, that's not a bad sales letter. Like you did a pretty good job and considering, um, considering what you're selling here and, uh, and everything else, a 1% response is pretty respectable. And, Hmm. and I was looking at that 1% response and the cost of it. And, and I realized, okay, you've been doing this with shoe leather and manual labor for the last five years and you just switched from time to money. And if you do the math, the economics of this thing doesn't work. Like it just doesn't work. And it was like, Oh, now I've already tried a million things and none of them worked. And then I tried this and this sort of worked, but the dollars in dollars out, it will, it will never pay out. Mm hmm. Right. right. If all those Amway distributors, if you had to spend money to get them in the room, like direct marketers do, instead of spending the time of uneducated, excited Ambots, <laughs> right? I love that. It's like yeah. this doesn't wash. And then by this time, I know. Oh, there's mail order businesses. There's a million products out there. There's all kinds of ways to sell stuff, like. I've, I've actually, I've been exposed to this whole other world of direct marketing. Oh, there's, there's catalog businesses, there's guru businesses, there's people selling all kinds of crazy things in the mail order world. And this is even the internet hasn't even really hit yet at this point. And I'm Mm. like, wow, huh? Well, so here's what happens. I get fired from my job. I want to say it was, it was like the Thursday, a week before Thanksgiving, I walk in the office. Hey, Perry, I need to talk to you. And I, oh, I'm not feeling like this is going to be a good conversation. Like, Perry. <laughs> this isn't a promotion coming up, is it? <laughs> right. Hey, we want to Perry, give you a bonus. We're done. And I, I remember my frozen chicken fettuccine, like, lunch. <laughs> <laughs> seeming a lot more expensive. And I remember <laughs> like I brought it to work and I was going to put it in the refrigerator and I get called into Wally's office before I can do that. And I take my chicken fettuccine <laughs> and a couple other things off my desk and I walk out the door and, and we're done. Right? right. And I put it in my car and I drive home and I walk in the door. It's nine o'clock in the morning. And she looks up. I don't even say a word. She goes, you got fired, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now I'm going to eat my chicken fettuccine. Yeah. <laughs> Happy my Thanksgiving, babe. <laughs> Here we are. We've got a year and a half old baby, two years. Yeah, something like that. And, and um, so what happens is I had been interviewing for this other job. And I managed to get a job offer from them like uh, one or two days later without them finding out that I had gotten fired from the previous job. And not only, not only that, my old boss told him I was a good guy 
and I want to say it's because, well, A, he knew I was a really hard worker, even though it wasn't working. And I think he thought the way I did that the job just wasn't a very good fit. And we had mm-hmm. tried to jam a square peg into a round hole. And so he even, he even gave, um, they asked if they could call, call him. And, and, and I said, yes. And I don't remember. I must've called him and checked or something anyway. So it all seemed okay. So I get hired. And so it's like, wow, when I come back from Thanksgiving vacation, the following Monday after Black Friday, I have a new job. And I was actually kind of excited about it. And, and when I was, um, uh, when I was in Nebraska for Thanksgiving, I was visiting my brother-in-law and we're riding in the pickup truck and his son is studying electrical engineering, just like I had like six or seven years earlier. He's, you know, a little younger and he's in, he's in school and Brett goes, you know, Perry, you and Laura kind of struggling a little bit. Um, you know, is, is it going to be there for my son or is like this a bad career choice? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, you know we're, we, we've driven Nebraska in my 1985 Toyota Corolla with 186,000 miles on it that makes blue smoke because it burns oil. And, you know, we've got the <laughs> baby, baby uh, seat in the back and, and, and everything. And I said, look, you know, Brett, I've taken a lot of risks that most people wouldn't take. And, you know, if your son just studies electrical engineering and gets an engineering job, he's going to be just fine. I, I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Right. But, but I, I get home and this job, so this is, this is December of 97. It's just before the internet really start to hit. And this company is an engineering company and they have a website and their customers are using the web. And I figured out before anybody told me, I, I had the sense to figure out that direct response marketing on the internet is pretty much exactly the same as direct mail. That a, a web page and a lead generation, a lead generation magnet, um, offering information in exchange for somebody's contact information, all that stuff, it's basically the same thing. And I'm reading Dan Kennedy newsletters because this is like my good ship hope, man. Like, right. man, like if, if, if something doesn't work here, and I, I had had a real, um, like kind of come to Jesus moment with myself about like, dude, what are you doing and what are you selling and what kind of job are you really looking for? Cause like, man, like if you screw this up, you're probably going back to Nebraska and, and living with your wife's parents, you know, yeah. like, like <laughs> no, how much, no chicken Alfredo either. Yeah. N- yeah. No chicken <laughs> fettuccine. We're going to, we're going to be, we're going to be eating roast and potatoes, man. Uh, on a farm, okay, and 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 not exactly the entrepreneurial vision that you have. Oh man, yeah. Well, and and you know her parents. Okay, I just have I have sympathy for anybody whose daughter marries a guy that nobody's too sure about. You know. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And, and so, you know, those of you who are now my age and you have daughters that are like getting married and stuff, like just, you know, give the guy about 10 years. Okay. Like just reserve judgment. He'll figure it out. He'll figure it out. Okay. Um, oh yeah. So, so they've got a consultant who understands direct marketing that's helping them out. And, and so I started applying myself and it, it was a good fit and like the leads are coming in on the internet every day, like three, four, five, six sales leads would come in and you'd email these guys back and, or you'd call them and, and they would actually want to talk to me, which was like, oh man, that, that alone was like therapy. Okay. There's, there's, there's a <laughs> right. something, there's a creature that we call a customer or a prospect. And he actually <laughs> is interested in hearing what you have to say. He's not just letting you come in because he's too polite to say no 
or whatever, <laughs> right? It's, they're like, yeah, you know, I got these software drivers and I'm writing this program in Visual Basic and I got to communicate with this controller card and get the data on the, the network. And I'm, I'm talking about all this stuff and I'm just staying like one, he- one step ahead of the technical questions and they start buying. It's like, wow, this is actually working. And then maybe two months later, I'm working late one night. It's maybe 6.30 or 7.00. And my boss is still there. He comes in, he sits down, he goes, so Perry, he goes, you know, this, this is working pretty well. How do we keep you here? Nice. And I'm like, wow. And oh, dude, the, the feeling of transitioning from getting fired from the one job and then getting the other job and then the other job working, you know what it felt like? It felt like when you almost have a severe car accident and like, you stop (laughs) just it's like when you almost rear end somebody going 50 miles an hour and and you you're like you come six inches away from slamming into the other guy and then it stops and then it's silent and then you feel this adrenaline rushing through your body and it's like the sickening you know that kind of sickening like dreadful feeling of that adrenaline like that's what it felt like. Like man, like we almost slammed into a brick wall, right? Um, yeah. And like right. I actually, and, and we'll we'll cover, we'll make our mortgage payment, we'll make our minimum credit card payments this month, and we'll start we'll stop getting deeper in debt. <sighs> that's awesome. that's what it was like. Like wow. So. So, so from, from there, like how, how did all of this shape your, your, uh, you know, one of the things that I love that you shared with me at some point when we were talking was that sales is a, and marketing is a disqualification process, which I think is very counterintuitive to what a lot of people think. I like that. Um, what, like, did any of this really like, was that the foundation that sort of shaped some of that for you where you said, Hey, you know what? I was going after the wrong people and, and I wasn't disqualifying the wrong people. And that's why I was wasting so much time. Well, I think the real problem was the right people weren't even within driving distance. <laughs> okay. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I was so naive and I, I didn't, I didn't understand what a USP was, a unique selling proposition. I, I didn't know how to evaluate one. I didn't understand anything about niche marketing at all. I don't think we're at the point of understanding disqualification yet. I mean, we can totally get to that. But but where where I was then was figuring out what I was good at and what my strengths were and not trying to be somebody I wasn't. Mm. Okay. And so, like, listen, all the Amway tapes and... And, and like the Zig Ziglar uh, recordings and the motivational speakers, like all this kind of stuff. They had me trying to be someone I was not. And look, you know, these people are, they're fun to listen to and they're really inspiring. And, um, and even, even if the Amway business is really like has a lot of problems, I mean, they were real people. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it wasn't like the stories were made up. Okay. And I was, I was just, I was trying, like, I didn't understand. There's just so much I didn't understand about myself. And I, so what, like one day at the rep job that I eventually got fired from, we went to visit one of the companies we represented and I, we walked into a meeting and everybody's introducing themselves. I said, I, I'm Perry. I'm an electrical engineer. And my boss, Wally, goes, Perry is a sales guy. Sometimes he forgets what his job is. <laughs> right. Okay. It's like, bonks me on the head. Like, no, you, like, you, go, you go down a couple notches. You're not an electrical engineer. Like, you're supposed to sell stuff. Okay. Well... <laughs> They did not value my technical expertise and over and over and over my technical expertise would get in the way because I wanted to go see a customer and solve a problem. They wanted me to go see a customer and get a purchase order. Mm -hmm. Okay. And like, I felt like a car salesman if I wasn't there because there was a problem to solve, but 
the 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 product line they had it was not a product line built for a problem solver there were some things that you could problem solve with but they weren't profitable they weren't competitive okay and so i was just really in a jam and and so i had to figure out my usp as a salesperson and my usp as a salesperson was Perry Kent, he's friendly, he's he's a people person and all of that, but he's also got an engineering brain. If you have a complicated problem and you need some, you know outside input and you want somebody that can put things together and make it all work, this is the kind of sales guy you want. And 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 that the new job was a fit for that. Um, and, and it was, it, their products were much less commoditized too. That's another thing was a lot of the stuff I was selling the previous job was kind of me too stuff. It's like you could buy it from four or five different people and it was just a matter of price and delivery. And I had to have something where, you know, we are the only company that sells a product that does this very particular thing. And once I had that, then it wasn't very hard to sell. And then I could focus on solving the problems. Now, just want to zoom out and say different marketers, different salespeople bring very, very different things to the table. And if you don't know yourself, then other people are just going to shoehorn you into whatever their thing is. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be miserable. Uh, it's, it's why I created the marketing DNA test, which is in the 80-20 book. It's because I, I started... It, it was really clear to fast forward 10 or 15 years later. And I'd worked with hundreds and thousands of salespeople and marketers. And I started to see these patterns like, well, you know, there's some people that I would call ho- hostage negotiators, you know, and, and they, you just throw them into a sales situation. They'll just figure it out and they'll somehow get the order. Or they get the person to agree and they walk out the door. They don't even remember what they said and they can't explain right. what they did but they'll do it, right? Then you have a totally different kind of person who's like, they'll sit in a cave for four months with no light, like in a candle, in a laptop, and they'll write emails and copy, you know, and then they'll press send after four months of work and then they'll make a million dollars, right? And then, <laughs> right. you know, and then there's there's people they'll they'll like edit videos or there's people who use spreadsheets or, you know, like there's all these different kinds of salespeople. And so like, I'm, I'm hoping you're not thinking, well, this is just a story for people who are engineers. No, it's like, well, whatever you bring to the table, you better understand what you bring to the table and you better understand how you do sell and how you don't. And, and I guess I think the, the real um, disqualification I learned first was stop trying to sell in ways that don't fit the who you are that that actually humiliate you like while he's embarrassed that this guy thinks he's an engineer it's like well man like talk about a you know and it's it's not even his fault i remember probably 3 or 4 days into the job one of our manufacturers came and did some training and i remember sitting there about halfway through the day i thought this stuff is too unsophisticated for me. Mm. I should probably just quit right now and take that other job offer I had. But I, I, I couldn't make myself do it for a whole bunch of reasons you could probably kind of imagine. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have the courage to just back out, say, stop this thing. Let's, you know, um, I should have probably, but I didn't. And, and now I find myself in the situation. And so, you know, I did make this situation. I mean, it's not this guy's fault. And he was a really nice guy, by the way. I mean, they were wonderful people, but it just wasn't a fit. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah. And I think that's also true for, you know, not just at an individual level, but there's probably, you know, and this, maybe this is something you want to talk about a little bit, but there's, you know, there's businesses that are trying to be something that they're not. Instead mm-hmm. of just being who they are, and that like I th- feel like that sort of waters down their own USP when they're not really sure who they are and what value they provide to the world. Oh yeah, I think I think your business is usually, especially if you're a small company, business is almost always an extension of the founder's personal USP. Um, and and so like 
like you, you really got to take the time to know who you are and what you know and, and what subjects you're in, you know, how there's this old saying, you know, how people do, how we do anything is how we do everything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's kind of true. And the way that you're going to be successful later is going to resemble ways you've already been successful in the past, even if it was just little micro victories. I mean, everybody's had some. And and so I had to really get real. And when, once I did some soul searching and, and started getting honest with myself and stopped trying to be somebody I wasn't, things really began to open up. Um, and life, st- life started to get a whole lot better. And so so I get out of the bad sales job into a good sales job. And about that time, I also, I stopped trying to make Amway work. And I just put my effort into this new job that I had in learning direct marketing. And I also had some little things on the side too. But, um, but like when I really started applying my full passion and effort to things that were a fit for me, my whole career just lurched forward. Like all of a sudden everything's mm-hmm. starting to work. It's like, and, and I had to learn like, you know, just because you're fighting in the water with Leviathan, you know, and you're wrestling and struggling and you're in the mud and you're in the butts, you know, just cause you're doing that, it doesn't make you a good guy. And it doesn't mean you're doing the right thing. You know, like I, I had some idea like, man, you know, you got to struggle and you got to, you know, gut it up and you just gotta, well, maybe sometimes, I mean, certainly that's part of life, but that shouldn't characterize, you know, your career. Like, right. You don't want, you don't want that to become a habit. Like I think people habitually decide, oh, well, uh, being an entrepreneur or a business owner just means you got to hustle and grind all the time. And I think that's like kind of ridiculous. Right. You you know, a, a young guy who same age as I was when I was going through all this, he was talking to me just the other day and he goes, you know, Perry, how important it is it to just like endure pain? And I go, well, what do you mean? (laughs) Like, boy, there's a lot of ways to answer that. And he goes, well, you know, I I heard this guy in a podcast and, and, you know, and he, 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 he just decided, man, I'm going to get in shape. And he ran 70 miles and then he fell down on the ground and, you know, his, his, his uh, urine was bleeding and, you know, and then, and then he just, he said, no, I'm going to ride a hundred miles. And he just got up and he ran 30 more miles after his urine was bleeding. And, and, and I go, you know, he's like, he's like, isn't that kind of important? I'm like, no. <laughs> it's impossible like, to avoid. Like I said, listen, <laughs> yeah, right. listen, pain for the sake of pain. Like, no, like, okay, if you're willing to endure pain and you want discipline and stuff like that, how about you just tackle the hardest problem that you can find that you think is still within your capacity to solve? And like, if you're going to endure pain, how about you actually solve a problem in the process? Okay. But like physically punishing yourself just so you can have more (laughs) discipline, like that's... (laughs) That's masochistic. Like, but you know, I was, I was operating in a certain amount of masochism. And if you look at, if you look at the church I grew up in, then you look at Amway, it was like, oh man, you know, these people love punishment. Like I was conditioned to like it. It's like, man, you know, I just drove three hours each way for a no show. I must be a good guy. Yeah, man. You drove three hours for a no show. You're a good guy. No, you're stupid. No, you're just yeah. stupid. Oh my word. I mean, no yeah, wonder my so- my father-in-law was really nice. I have to say that. Like, man, they put up with us for a long time. He's like, what on earth is happening over there? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, so, so contrast that with, uh, with leverage, right? Cause 80, 20 is about getting leverage on everything. It's like, it's a, it's a way of seeing things, a way of seeing the world. Like that's totally opposite from pain for the sake of pain. That doesn't even make sense in the paradigm of 80, 20. Absolutely. So, so 80, 20 says, 
you know, 20% of what you do produces 80%. So that's a, that's a 4X leverage. And the other 80% of what you do only produces 20%. So that's a one fourth X leverage. And the difference is 16X, right? And, and it's pretty much true. Like the difference between the stuff that doesn't work and the stuff that does work is like 16X. Now, when I, when I was in, in, in the middle of this, like I was just a squirrel that couldn't find an acorn to save my life. I mean, like nothing worked. <laughs> I was just, and then on top of that, I, I've got this thing in my head drilled in from Amway. Winners never quit and quitters never win. <laughs> quitters never win. I, all those quitters, you know, I send them postcards from Tahiti because they're losers. Right. And <laughs> all those people that said no, all it, yeah, that, I had that guy in my downline and he quit. So I sent him postcards now. Like, this is the kind of <laughs> stuff that I'm being in, indoctrinated with. And, 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 and so, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quit something that wasn't working. Okay. It's like, look, you try stuff until you find something that works. And the only way you can try stuff is to quit what you were doing that didn't work. Like if something doesn't work, mm -hmm. quit. Now, of course, yeah, I know. Edison's got to do 5,000 filaments before he figures out how to make a light bulb. I know that, okay? And there's there's some judgment and some wisdom in knowing what to quit, what not to quit. And we're, we're all going to get some of those wrong, right? But, you know, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing and expecting different results, like, well, it applied to that too. Like, they would tell me that, and then not apply it to what we were doing, right? right. <clears throat> and so, man, you know, like, I, I, I guess if, if you get anything out of this story, I hope that if you've drank pink Kool-Aid and done really stupid things in your life and, what, and, and embarrassed your wife and embarrassed your father-in-law and embarrassed your mother-in-law and embarrassed your brother-in-law, you know, it's like, well, there's still hope, you know, you can still get smart eventually. Well, and in the case of Edison, right? He didn't try the same element. Over yeah, and right. Over. Let's try right. tungsten. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was like number 5,000. Well, tungsten happened to work. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It would have been right. ludicrous for him to keep trying the same thing over and over. But he was smart about it. And it was the the goal was the light bulb. The goal was not, I got to make this particular element work inside right. the light bulb. Exactly. So, uh, so, so Perry, is there anything that, um, you know, you just sort of think from a, from an 80, 20 perspective that people get wrong when thinking about it? Like, I think there's like, you know, there's a level of awareness that people have like, oh yeah, okay, that sounds good. You know, 80% of my results come from 20% of my effort, but then they sort of don't apply it. Like where, where do things get lost in translation, um, well, from the theory to the application? I think. 80-20 is counterintuitive every step of the way from white belt to ninth degree black belt. I think every <laughs> every single rung up, you're doing, you're adopting another counterintuitive set of practices. So it's very encounter, it's very counterintuitive for people to look at sales as a as a disqualification process and say, I'm not even going to try to sell people something until I know that they have the money, they have a bleeding neck, they buy into my USP, they have the ability to say yes, and it fits into their overall plans. If it doesn't fit those five things, I'm not even going to waste my time or theirs. And so that that also runs up against the Protestant work ethic. So, so my belief was, dude, you just work. You work and you work and you work, and eventually you start to deserve mm. for your work to be effective, and you deserve to get respect, and you deserve to get money. You work, like work causes you to deserve. Well, even that is seriously flawed, okay? So a lot of times the money people get the opportunities people get has nothing to do with what they deserve. Mm. 
either in the past or in the future. Like the money showed up because you met an economic need in the marketplace and how hard you had to work to make that happen has very little to do with it. I'm not saying nothing, but the correlation is very small. Like if you said, what's the correlation between incomes and hours per week worked? I'm going to guess the correlation might be about 55%, which is, you know, 50 is none, you know, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like certain, okay. Certainly people that work harder tend to make more money, but even that's not always true. Um, And, and some people just like some, some people make money because they refuse to work hard because they find shortcuts. There's, there's a laziness that can be extremely productive. And so, you know, and I've probably only gotten to green belt at this point in the conversation. We're not even talking about anything advanced. It's totally counterintuitive for people to fire customers. What? Mm -hmm. Well, you're losing money on 10% of them. I'll just about guarantee you almost a dead Mm. certainty. 10% of your customers are losing you money. And, and if you don't know it or you're not letting that happen very, very, very deliberately and strategically, like a loss leader for a very strategic reason, then, well, then you're just ignorant. Um, but it's a very common kind of ignorance, right? Uh, 80-20 mm. is much more about what you don't do and what you choose not to do than it's about what you actually do. Because you have to make room for it. You make room right. for the good, then more good is going to come. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Totally. Um, well, I want to uh, I want to wrap this thing up here in just a minute. Um, Dean, do you have any uh, Do you have any questions? I know I've been uh, I've been hogging the mic a little bit, but you're pretty used to that at this point after doing the show <laughs> right. for as long as you. No, know. I just uh, I mean, listening to these masterful stories, and uh, I, I would say um, for me, like one of the you, you the last question that you mentioned, James, was about with regards to eighty twenty, and I think for me, like looking back when I was first. Uh, reading the book and and hearing of this this concept for the first time, um, it started dawning on me as the as the months and years went by how applicable that was to so much more than just like sales or marketing. I I you know I, I know for me it made a sort of a open my eyes to a lot of different things and um, yeah it's just been awesome to spend this time with you, Perry. It's been awesome. Thank you. Well, well, thank thank yeah, you. It, for, it, I, it's everywhere. It is absolutely everywhere. Yeah. I mean, that that was the original epiphany when I read Richard Koch's book. It was like, oh, I thought this was just like economics of countries and sales reports. It turns out, oh, it's the size of files on your hard drive and it's the trees in your front yard and it's the traffic in your town. And, you know, it's, it's almost everything and every spreadsheet. It's absolutely everywhere. And I never saw it before. And now I see it everywhere. Wow. Yeah. I even got to get rid of most of my friends when I realized the majority of my happiness came from just 20% of them. Exactly. <laughs> That's probably exactly. true. <laughs> well, it, it's undoubtedly true, right? And right. 80% of your misery comes from a different 20% of your friends. Right. <laughs> right? I mean, aren't, aren't most does. murders committed by relatives? You know, right? I mean, I don't know if that's quite true, but it, it's probably true. Uh, you, you could go look. It seems up. logical. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Well, Perry, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. And you know, I I had actually not heard a lot of the detail of that story, which uh, which I found fascinating. So thanks uh, thanks for sharing that so openly. Well, um, you're welcome. I uh, you know I, I I really I find I. Dude, you got to dig into the like the really painful stuff if you want to get to you know what, what's going to be meaningful to people. You know, people people don't really want to just hear theorems and, and and models and you know they they want to they want to know the guy that's talking to you has you know lived through real life. You know, this is what this is what the entrepreneurial life is actually like. Like. This is the unvarnished mm-hmm. version, right? right? Right. The the non-Instagram version. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's amazing. Um so uh so yeah, I mean if if you guys are listening and you want to find out more about, you know, Perry and I mean he's got, you know, just tons and tons of uh great frameworks and intelligent things to say on, you know, how to get more customers and how to identify them and how to operate your business and everything. 
Is the best place for them to go just your main website, Perry? Yeah, go to perrymarshall.com. There's a few things you could take a look at. Um, if if you've if you've been in the MLM pink Kool-Aid world, just like type MLM into the search box and you'll find like there's there's email series and articles and stuff. Um, you know, or type in Amway, you'll get a bunch of those stories. Uh, um, I, there's a there's a there's an email series called the 30 Day Street MBA that's right on our homepage that I think you probably like a lot. Um, and you should definitely take a look at 80-20 Sales and Marketing, my book, which that's the book I wish I had when I started all this. If if I had had 80-20 Sales and Marketing the day I got laid off from my engineering job, oh man, like I would have saved easily five years of misery. So hopefully I'm saving somebody else five years of misery. Well, I think you saved me five years of misery, although I'm, <laughs> I'm still doing the show with Dean, so I got to cut that out and then, then, then life will be better. <laughs> you, know, you know what my favorite, one of my favorite uh, lyrics is, it's, it's from uh, Down at the Sunset Grill by Don Henley. It goes, maybe we'll leave come springtime. Meanwhile, have another beer. What would we do without all these jerks anyway? Besides, all of our friends are here. <laughs> so, hey, you know, you, if you guys make each other miserable, you know, maybe misery was something that you kind of learned to like in one of your pink Kool-Aid phases. And, you know, like I, I noticed um, there, there isn't the, the, the job of all the jobs that I had. I had a lot. The job where everybody had the most sense of community years later after everybody had gone their separate ways was the most dysfunctional company that I had ever worked at. Um, like, I, I think all the coworkers, like, they really had to huddle together and bond in order to survive. You know, was, I think it was like a kind of a, a super, super light version of a concentration camp. And so, you know, or Vietnam, and they just, you know, they really bond, you know, and we will all go down together. And, <laughs> and uh, so, hey, you know, um, maybe, maybe we make our best friends while we're doing the stupid stuff. Uh, so it's, it's all good. Yeah. Well, yeah. there you go. Well, uh, well, thanks again for being here, Perry. Yeah. Um, for you guys listening, uh, be sure to check out Perry stuff, perrymarshall.com. Uh, it's just a wealth of knowledge and information that can really, really help you. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe, tell your friends about us, and we will talk with you guys next time. Later, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to get free from the day-to-day operations of your business while making more money, visit me at jamespfreel.com forward slash autopilot. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.